Welcome to the 5-7 Podcast. I'm your host, Pri, and today we're going to be talking about biometric chips in humans. So I have two articles today, one from NPR by Maddie Savage and another one from The Atlantic by Amanda Mull. And what they're about is in Sweden, they are putting a little... Uh, little chips the size of a grain of rice in people. And what they can do is they can open your doors. Uh, you can pay, uh, you could use it to pay for things. And um, it's, it's actually really, really interesting. And it really makes you think, you know, how far are we coming with, with technology and, and to, and to take that even further, uh, the article by the Atlantic um it's about Elon Musk and he wants to take it in even a step further about putting chips into our brains so that we can control things with our mind. So obviously I'm going to get to that on the second article, but I'm going to start with the first one here. Technology continues to get closer and closer to our bodies from the phones in our pockets to the smart watches on our wrists. Now for some people it's getting under their skin in Sweden, a country rich, With technological advancement, thousands have had microchips inserted into their hands. The chips are designed to speed up users' daily routines and make their lives more convenient. Assessing their homes, offices, and gyms is as easy as swiping their hands against digital readers. They also can be used to store emergency contact details, social media profiles, or e-tickets for events and rail journeys within Sweden. Proponents of the tiny chips say they are safe personal health data that might be stored on the devices. Around the size of a grain of rice, the chips typically are inserted into the skin just above each user's thumb, using a syringe similar to that used for giving vaccinations. The procedure costs about $180. So many Swedes are lining up to get the chips, the microchips, that the country's main shipping company says it can't keep up with the number of requests. More than 4,000 Swedes have adopted the technology with one company, Biohacks International, dominating the market. The chipping firm was started five years ago by Joan Osterlund, a former professional body piercer. After spending the past two years working full-time on the project, he is currently developing training materials so that he can hire Swedish doctors and nurses to help take on some of the heavy workload. Having different cards and tokens verifying your identity to a bunch of different systems just doesn't make sense, he says. Using a chip means that the hyper-connected surroundings that you live in every day can be streamlined. Many early adopters come from Stockholm's thriving startup scene. Eric Frisk, a 30-year-old web developer and designer, says he was really curious about the technology as soon as he heard about it and decided to get his own chip in 2014. It's just completely passive. It has no energy source or anything. So when you tap it against a reader, the chip sends back an ID that tells the reader which chip it is. Swedes are very pragmatic and the chip is useful. And since a lot of people know each other in the tech community, it's very tight. The trend has been spreading and people have seen the benefits, Frisk says. When Frisk, when Frisk moved into a shared house earlier this year, he organized a chipping party for his new housemates. Now they can access the, 60, the 16th century building they share in Stockholm's Old Town by tapping their hands on a digital reader by the door. The chip basically solves my problem, says Sylvia 
Varzegi, 28, who also uses it to get into her co-working space. And she uses it to share her LinkedIn details at networking events, avoiding the need to spell out her name. She simply touches another attendee's smartphone and the information is transferred. When another phone reads the chip, they see the link and they can open it in their phone browser. Sweden's largest train company has started allowing commuters to use chips instead of tickets. And there's talks that the chips could soon be used to make payments in shops and restaurants. I see no problem for it becoming mainstream. I think it's something that can seriously make people's lives better, Verzaghi says. Osterlin believes there are two key reasons microchips have taken off in Sweden. First, the country has a long history of embracing new technologies before many others and is quickly moving toward becoming a cashless society. In the 1990s, the Swedish government invested in providing fast internet services for its citizens and gave tax breaks to companies that provided their workers with home computers. And well-known tech names such as Skype and Spotify have Swedish roots. The more you hear about technology, the more you hear about tech the more you hear about technology, the more you learn about technology, the less apprehensive you get about the technology, Osterlin says. Only one in four people living in Sweden use, uses cash at least once a week. And according to the country's central bank, the Riksbank, the proportion of retail cash transactions has dropped from around 40% in 2010 to about 15% today. Osterlin's second theory is that Swedes are less concerned about data privacy than people in other countries, thanks to a high level of trust for Swedish companies, banks, large organizations, and government institutions. Swedes are used to sharing personal information with many online purchases and administrative bodies requiring the social security numbers. Mobile phone numbers are widely available in online search databases, and people can easily look up each other's salaries by calling the tax authority. Osterlin says personal microchips are actually more difficult to hack than many other data sources because they are stored beneath the skin. Everything is hackable, but the reason to hack them will never be bigger because it's a microchip. It's harder for someone to get to since you put it in you, he says. There are few vocal critics in Sweden's microchip trend. And there is currently no national legislation regulating the growing industry. However, Ben Liberton, a British scientist based in southern Sweden, is among those starting to campaign for lawmakers to keep a closer eye on developments. What is happening now is relatively safe, but it's used everywhere. If every time you want to do something and instead of using a card, you use your chip, it could be very, very easy to let go of personal information, he says. Liberton, a trained microbiologist now working in science communication, since one of his main concerns is how the chips could be used to share data about, per, about our personal health and bodily functions. Because it's implanted in your body, when more health-related information starts being used and incorporated into the chips and being transmitted, that could create an extra layer of privacy that we really need to look at and take care of before it's widely used. Despite these concerns, there seems to be no let-up in the trend. One co-working space and innovation hub in Stockholm is holding a large implant party this month where a tech startup, Disruptive, D, capital D, capital S, Ruptive, <laughs> pretty creative, is promising to reveal the next generation consumer level implant. The device will include 2 kilobits of memory 
double that of earlier implants, a range of new functions, and an LED light designed to improve privacy by blinking if someone tries to read or access an implant. And that'll be that'll look really weird. Imagine having a chip underneath your skin, and if somebody is trying to 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 get information from it, you just see it like a little red uh, or a little uh, little blinking light underneath your skin. You know that could be that could be a little disconcerting. Moving on. Osterlin says the tougher data privacy rules that come into effect across the European, the European Union earlier this year as part of the general data protection regulation could also help the microchip trend spread more rapidly. It's the heaviest set of laws protecting individual integrity ever, he says the rules, which affect any organization handling personal information linked to EU residents. But Osterlin says... The fact that this kind of regulation does not exist on a global level could delay the microchip trend elsewhere. I have a hard time seeing the rest of the world following GDPR anytime soon, but at least all of Europe, I mean one continent, it's a good beginning, he says. Now, as I was saying, you know, it's that would, especially in the United States, it's, you know, it's a completely different place that we live in, a completely different country. And I, I definitely think that people in the United States value their privacy and would be much more apprehensive to having chips put inside their bodies so that they could do these things. I mean, people already are pretty apprehensive of putting their credit cards and personal information and health information into their phones, even though it is a growing trend that I just don't see it taking off in the United States at any time soon, especially with say maybe the um, 40 and older crowd. Now, if there are other health benefits, like say you put a, ch a chip into your into your hand and um, it sends a warning to your phone if you, you know, if your blood pressure starts uh, going over normal levels or you have uh, abnormal heart rate or, or, or something like that. Now that could be pretty useful, but um, getting to that kind of technology, I think is is a bit, I mean, it's near, but I think it's a little bit of a ways off. So as far as getting that chips put into you, I'm not really on board with that yet. And um, the next story that I have here that, that ties in line with this from The Atlantic is, um, is even more out there. And especially when it comes to Elon Musk, because I think that he, um, I think he's more of a provocator than than say a um what's the word that I'm looking for than than being a a technological savant you know yeah he has these really radical ideas but i think some of them are still uh, a, a bit of a ways off and this one i think will be even more disconcerting to the people who don't want to put chips into them and he recently uh, created a company called neuralink and he debuted it uh this this week and uh, I'm going to get into the article right here and uh, so you can so you guys can learn about it. So Neuralink, a neurotechnology company owned by Musk, crept out of the corporate shadows Tuesday with a live stream that included one of the founder's signature big promises. The company is developing a device to implant inside the brain that supposedly will allow people to control computers and other devices with their mind. At the announcement, Musk said the company is on track to begin testing the implants in human patients as soon as next year. 
in one sense, what Musk described during Neuralink's debut sounds dazzling. Threads thinner than human hair, robotically inserted into the brain via skull holes bored by a laser that does not yet exist. The threads, according to Neuralink's leadership, will be less likely to cause internal damage and able to transmit far more information than rigid implants currently available that allow people with physical disabilities to interact with computers. Once perfected, Musk, Musk said in his announcement, the host brain would achieve a symbi symbiosis with artificial intelligence. If it delivers on its promise, this technology could change the lives of people with paralysis and other physical disabilities. And if the most sweeping claims of Neuralink's public debut are realized, it could radically transform what it even means to be human. But alongside the device's promise lies its potential to realize a host of modern anxieties about technology's ever more inextricable role in the way humans perceive and interact with the world. The foundation of medicine is a slow, steady approach to innovation, which is at odds with Silicon Valley's edict to move fast and break things. In neurotechnology, the thing that might get broken is people's minds. Because of its reliance on buzz and venture capital, Silicon Valley both requires the rewards and rewards big swings moonshots in the industry's vernacular. This is an environment in which Musk has thrived, and although he's a controversial figure, he's clearly had victories. In finding ways to reuse rocket boosters, SpaceX has substantially reduced the cost of space travel. Now, SpaceX is his, uh, it's his, um, it's his space travel company. The popularity of Tesla, Musk's electric car company, offers a proof of concept for the automobile's more sustainable future. But big swings come at a considerable risk of big misses. Tesla has problems with production schedules and talent retention. Hyperloop, Musk's tunnel car concept, promised high-speed frictionless transport but has only delivered a sedan on a sled. Because many of Musk's ventures are still in their early stages, the consequences of bumps in the road have largely, largely been confined to his own employees and some discouraging rocket explosions. But as Musk's vision has grown, so too have the potential impacts on the population at large. Self-driving Teslas, for example, could endanger drivers and pedestrians if not per perfect, perfectly calibrated. When Musk or anyone else starts talking about opening people's skulls, the stakes skyrocket. Musk, in Neuralink's debut, readily admitted that the company wasn't ready to show the public much of anything, but that he and the company's president, Max Hoddock, were stepping forward in hopes of recruiting new employees. Musk also revealed something Hoddock reportedly wasn't expecting to tell the world. Neuralink's devices have already allowed at least one monkey to mentally interact with a computer. Although there is a technological basis for the hardware that Musk and Neuralink are promising, in 2006, a brain implant allowed Matthew Nagel to play ping pong with his mind. Neuroscience, like much of, the medic of medical innovation, tends to be incremental and careful. The field's pace has its critics, but a certain amount of caution is warranted because of the huge ethical and safety concerns in testing novel treatments on human subjects. Coming from an industry still grappling with the implosion of the blood testing startup Theranos, 
a promise to transform people's health using fast, world-changing technology might inspire as much dread as it does hope. If you want to read up on on Theranos, their their CEO, Elizabeth Holmes, she's um, currently brought up on charges. It's going to be in the news. And um, and you can look into that, look into Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes and you can get the, the whole deal. And I believe there's also another podcast out there about uh, about Elizabeth Holmes. I think maybe an HBO special as well. Moving on. The drug and food, the food and drug administration and Neuralink's academic partners at schools like the University of California at Davis will have a moderating force on the tech industry's pension for sprinting forward. But those kinds of checks and balances have failed spectacularly in the recent past. Theranos reached a valuation of $10 billion and had contracts with Walgreens and the American military before reports of fraud surfaced. The very structure of the industry, with its tendency for glitz and hype to overshadow hard science, can put people at risk. When it comes to health, it might be wiser not to tell people you're going to change their lives until you can actually do it. Beyond whether or not Neuralink can serve up what it promises, scientists seem more optimistic about the hardware itself than Musk's grand plans for what it will do. There's also the question of whether people even want it. According to Musk's announcement, helping people with paralysis is just the first step. He envisions that pretty much everyone will one day get these types of implants in order to stay competitive with artificial intelligence technology, eventually achieving telepathic communication with one another and their possessions. There's already considerable concern that the rapid increase in interconnectedness that humans have experienced as a result of smartphones and social media is overwhelming and potentially harmful to the psyche. If humans are going to go even further, there's good reason to be wary of any Silicon Valley's existing overlords leading the way. Now, after reading something like that, it is absolutely uh, mind-boggling that we are getting to that time in 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 our existence in human existence where the potential of people sitting there having a conversation without speaking a word but with our minds this per, uh, Elon Musk is trying to make possible now i think kids uh, specifically kids these days they have a hard time communicating with people because they communicate on their phones so much and they're messaging on their phones so much. And that that's like their main, you know, messaging apps are the main mode of communication. And if we're going to get to the point where we are no longer talking to people, I think that, I think that it's going to be a gigantic problem. So, uh, I mean, that's that, those are the articles. Um, I am not, uh, I'm a proponent of, of technology. I think that in the case of helping people with disabilities and helping people with, with um, say, if, if they have traumatic injuries, traumatic brain injuries to help them, yes, I think that these could be options for them to, to, augment, to augment humans th- that way. But uh, if, you're, if you're a healthy human, I see no need for anybody to, to be putting these, these like chips in their brain so that they can interact with with computers and their devices, uh, it just doesn't seem it doesn't seem like in, it's in the the human race's best interest to do so. So that's what I got for you t- today, guys. Uh, this is a really good one. Let me know what you think in the comments on on Facebook, or get at me on YouTube. Uh, leave, leave a leave a comment 
in the comments section. Give us a follow at Facebook uh, on Facebook uh, at at 57 podcast, Twitter at 57 podcast and Instagram at 57 podcast. If you want to search for us on YouTube, I'm going to start putting out video within the next uh, two to three months. I'm, I'm trying to get that all set up uh, along with other projects that I'm working on. So uh, that will be coming up. Uh, search us on YouTube. It's 57 podcast uh, space uh, pre and you'll be able and then it should uh, pop right up. So thanks a lot, guys. Uh, be sure to take care of yourselves. It's going to be a really, really hot. Um, well, it was a really, really hot weekend. And uh, but it seems like the temperatures in Chicago, if you're listening in Chicago, are going to be going down into more appropriate levels. So get out there, get outside, have some fun and uh, take it easy. This is pre out. Mm-hmm.